everyone. My name is Kat Savage and I'm a professional artist, clinical hypnotherapist and well-being expert working with those in the creative arts sector. In my line of work, I get to meet some amazing, colourful people from actors to artists, people who live their lives by their own rules, fueled by passion and determination to bring their unique talents into the world. I wanted to discover what it took for people to leave the usual nine to five and hop on a dream, to capture their bravest moments and share these meaningful conversations with you so that together we can explore the ideas, emotions and moments that could potentially change our lives too. So let's keep talking, have some fun and enjoy the show. This week on the Brave Moment Writers mini-series, we speak to BAFTA, NTA and RTS award-winning multi-hyphen TV professional Zara Janjua. In 2019, Zara celebrated an NTA win as a producer on ITV's This Morning team and worked as a creative producer and director with Press Association, where she interviewed Cara Delevingne and Sir Richard Branson. In 2020, Zara was in the BBC Comedy Writers' Room, where she was shortlisted for the Funny Woman Comedy Writers' Award. And she recently won a spot in the BBC Children's Writers' Room and the ITV 5050 Female Pilot Club. Freshly wrapped on filming as a supporting artist for Jemima Goldsmith's What's Love Got To Do With It with Emma Thompson and Lily James, Zara's list of professional accolades is ever-growing and in every area of the media. From comedy writer to film producer, journalist to actress, it is with great honour that I introduce you to one of the absolute titans of television, Zara Janjua. Janjua, welcome to the Brave Moment. So nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Kat. <laughs> I feel very, very honoured considering you've just rushed from another job to get here. Tell us what you've been up to. Uh, I've just been filming this weekend. I'm exec producing a show with a very talented young woman who I'm also mentoring in the industry. And so we've been filming her show over the weekend. And today we've been doing a BBC comedy short that we are filming that I uh, write, produce and, and was also starring in, which was really great fun. Um, we've been playing around with medieval costumes, football <laughs> puns. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a really fun, busy day. I'll have to send you a link to it when it goes out. Just so Absolutely. You know what I'm talking about. And we'll put it in the show notes later so that people can link in and, and watch this craziness that is your life, Zara. It's been called worse, to be fair. So, <laughs> so I'm going to take you back in time. Here we go. Um, and I want to know what you were like as a child. So if your parents were here on the show today, how do you think they would describe you as a child? Uh, I was a wee weirdo. I think I enjoyed a lot of time alone. Um, I did struggle, I think, socially, perhaps. I think they would probably describe me though as being quite stubborn, and they still do, uh, which I have used to my advantage throughout my life. And uh, I'm, I'm, it's working for me. I'm working it. Um, <laughs> being stubborn was definitely something that my mum often describes. Um, I'm very single-minded and strong-willed. And if I want to do something, then you know, there's no stopping me usually. Um, which when you're a child uh, is infuriating probably for parents. But as a kid, I was very solitary. I think I enjoyed a lot of time by myself. I remember spending time in my room in like teenage angst phases listening to Travis. And 
good old Travis <laughs> dreaming of marrying Ronan Keating from Boyzone and just kind of see I told you be we weirdo so you said that you're a little bit stubborn do you get any of your traits from your parents do you see any of themselves in you I I, I definitely am like a mum mum's girl mm. I would say that I hated when I was younger my mum would say you're just like your father you're just <laughs> like your father you and your father you're... and I was thinking I'm nothing like him I'm nothing like him we're so different and actually as I get older I see actually yeah I am very much like my dad in many ways my temperament my yeah my personality um it's very similar and we are both very stubborn people um and I you know I I think that that sort of is it biology is it cognitive I don't really know which I would go with but um you know I'm, I'm I would probably if I had to choose I'd say that it, it's it feels like it's something that's more biologically ingrained in who I am because mm. um I, I tried so hard to be someone different I think uh growing up or someone that was not you know I didn't want to replicate the life my parents had mm. when I was growing up which is you know strange because now I'm seeing all the good stuff and then going why did I ever have an issue with this you know <laughs> they're so like I always just thought my parents were so boring um, my older brother just I I, I don't know what I have to do in life or what I have to achieve to stop him thinking that I'm just a wee fanny. That's what he just, it's still just think there's no respect, no respect whatsoever for any of my achievements has to undercut everything I do. Uh, yeah. And puts me in my place and keeps me grounded. So. Wow. That's I a guess good I brother, I think. <laughs> so talking of your brother and uh, your crazy family, what is one of your favorite childhood memories and why? I loved the time that we spent in Pakistan. My dad's Pakistani, uh, my mum's Glaswegian, and we lived in Pakistan for a while when I was about five years old, maybe mm. five or six. And I think that because I always, and this was honestly, Kat, my, my, I always thought my life was so boring <laughs> all the time. Everything, I, did you ever just feel like you wanted life to begin? It was totally. like, when was, when Every was day. life start? <laughs> it's just still, a Tuesday. <laughs> We're on Monday, give it the week. Give yeah, it the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought life was so incredibly boring when I was growing up and I didn't have a lot of... Um, yeah, I didn't have a lot of excitement. There was ever, never anything going on. And so when I lived in Pakistan, it was a complete assault on my senses and the smells and the food and the just everything around me was so different to my everyday that I just was very... Yeah, I feel like I remember stuff because most of my child, I don't actually really remember all that stuff from growing up. Mm. I feel like I've got lots of big gaps in my memories where it's like, well, you know, the age of seven to 12, that was kind of dull. That all just melds into one, doesn't it? There wasn't anything <laughs> really exciting going on there. But that time in Pakistan was fantastic. My cousin was getting married at the time and that's initially why we'd gone out. There were rose garlands everywhere. That just sounds so idyllic. Like, I mean, obviously to you, it was kind of boring because it was part of your childhood. And like you said, it just didn't seem that fantastic to you. But looking back on it now, do you have uh, a different feeling about that time? Do you get nostalgic for it? Have you been back since? I would love to go back to Pakistan. I haven't been back since I was, yeah, since I was there, actually, when I was five years old. Um, and my memories of it now, no, I think they're still as good as they ever were. Um, you know, we, we did, I just remember running about the gardens, chasing fireflies and there were peacocks and it was like, there were man we, were, we had a mango orchard out the back and it was just like something out of like a Salmon Rushdie book. It just, <laughs> yeah, I just, 
loved it. Um, and, and I still feel that way about it. But I'm desperate to go back to Pakistan and desperate to spend time in my father's home and see where he came from and, and to meet more of my family out there. Oh, so when you do think of home, I, I love asking this question because I can always taste people's answers. What smell reminds you of home? The smells that remind me of home are, um, you know, Pakistani cooking. Oh, Pakistani lovely. food because my mum although she is Glaswegian uh, learned how to cook Pakistani food 40 years ago when she married my dad and that's kind of what we cook every day and that's our you know Sunday dinners at the house with the family that's the kind of food that we that we have um, and I love that you know my, my, I come from a family of feeders and it's always such a, an occasion really so when, whenever I'm going home my mum will say what have you been looking what would you like what have you been looking forward to and on the day that I get back she'll have all my favourites laid out um, but she also I mean it's weird because when obviously our neighbours love to you know love the smells and love mm. the, you know coming and asking what what's being what's on the menu that night and what we're having for dinner and um my mum is a feeder so it, uh, often there's like Tupperware going over the garden fence and occasionally you know I'll come home walk in the door and there's someone completely random sitting by themselves having having something to eat at the table and I'll say a quick hello and go through to the kitchen and kind of, you know, mum, who's, who is that? <laughs> and I remember once there was a guy sitting there and he didn't even really say anything to me. He just looked up and smiled. I was quite happy just sitting eating. It was the window cleaner. She was like, she was like, oh yeah, he just, he, he's French, you know, and he misses home and his mum's food. And he just oh, said bless. that it just reminded him of his mum's food. So I said to him, just you sit down and have a wee seat and I'll bring you through a plate. So he was just sitting by himself and I was like all right I mean that's lovely but I don't think that's normal mum <laughs> your mum sounds like a legend I can She's remember great. my mum uh, she she does something a little bit similar but it's usually out in public she tends to collect uh, elderly people mm-hmm. so she went through uh, a couple of years where her only friends were these amazing elderly uh, Cornish people which was fantastic and, and I'd have exactly the same situation mm-hmm. so I'd come home and there'd just be a bunch of people just cackling around the table I'd be like mum who are these people she's like oh I just met them today when we were out having a coffee and waitrose (laughs) she's so cute oh bless our mums aren't they great they are I think you learn to appreciate them um a lot more as you get older yeah well Oh gosh, yeah. Especially with the with the work that you do, it must be so lovely to go home and relax and feel that sort of snuggly hug of of family life around you when you're rushing around like a like Just a crazy being person. looked after. Yeah, so nice. You know, when you go home, like when you're because my mum and dad are still together. My family home is mm. when I grew up in, and when I go the second I walk in that door, it's just like I don't have to lift a finger. God, I'm yeah. spoiled, aren't I? <laughs> Mum's like, throw down your washing. Don't worry, just you leave that on the side and I'll get it. And, you know, often when I am so busy, um, I I stop looking after myself as much. You know, I won't, Mm. uh, maybe, you know, washing won't get done for a week and I'll maybe just order a takeaway if I've been really busy that day. And, you know, I take, take it for granted when I'm home, it's like, beautiful fresh cooked food every day and you know the place is clean and everything's everything is there it's a magical wondrous place (laughs) shout out to the Janjua home it sounds idyllic (laughs) so being someone that writes a lot being someone who's uh, interested in comedy and all of that jazz can you remember the first book that made an impression on you as a child and did you have an intuition that maybe you might grow up to be a writer yourself 
Um, Anne of Green Gables. Strong female character, kick-ass, you know, attitude. Um, I don't know if Anne of Green Gables has ever been described as having a kick-ass attitude. <laughs> She's but, positive though, isn't she? she She's was. upbeat. And that was it. She was indefatigable with her attitude and her positivity and you know I just thought she was so resilient and I think I identified with that resilience because I think I am quite a resilient person Mm. and I loved the uh, adventurous spirit and how she just was able to you know make friends which was something I I found really hard to do and she fought back against you know adversity and she you know had she found love and she found her place in the world which was always just you know something I was desperate to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved stories growing up and, I, and my mum used to read us lots of stories but my mum my used to do something she she did something which I think really did help me as a writer or shape me as a writer which was often she would we would make up stories together and we would talk about what could happen next should could it be you know like the multiple choice is it mm. A they do this or B is it this or C is it this <laughs> and we would really talk about story and kind of get the mo- a lot of fun out of it and we would both do it together so it was a mutual thing I knew that I always wanted to be a writer I never knew anything else um, like I and I didn't it doesn't make sense, but I, I was always really envious of people who knew 100% what they wanted to do with their lives because I still don't really have a clue, which is why I do so many things. I, do you know what? That's such a creative person's dilemma, isn't it? Because I think, I'm, I'm not sure if you are the same, but I think we all sort of like daydreamed our way through school um, and wanted to be a million things. Like I can remember one week wanting to be a ballet dancer and then I wanted to be a marine biologist and then I wanted to be something oh, that else. That's been a good one. Oh, right? I still want to be a marine biologist. <laughs> Especially now with the with the whale in the Thames. Oh I'm just like, my. oh my God. Wait a minute, there's a whale in the Thames? There's a whale in the Thames, yeah. Spoiler. A milky whale. I know, right? Really? <laughs> Who knows That's what will amazing. happen? They tried to rescue it, but then uh, it escaped. So it's on the loose in the Thames right oh. now. That is incredibly exciting. I'm supposed to be um, going on a speedboat down the Thames on Saturday. I know that sounds so bougie. But it's, it's, my, it's, it's my birthday on Saturday and I thought I'm going to try and pick some stuff, some touristy things to do in London that I haven't done before. So that's one of them. So, hey, I'm going to like get ready to high five that whale on the way on the way down. You do it, sister. You do it. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that was a do bit it. of a tangent, wasn't it? Knowing that you were sort of searching for your identity, didn't quite know where you wanted to go. What were your teenage years like? Were you still in that kind of, uh, I know you mentioned angst, but were you still in that kind of place where you're like, who am I? What do I want mm. from life? And, and what did you go on to study? I was really keen to get out in the world. I felt like life was, it had to start and it had to start soon. And um, yeah, I I decided because I was really creative, because I loved, um, you know, stories and art. I loved art. I thought, you know, for a long time I might go to art school, but I've been thinking about options and what I was going to go and study and naturally thought that the best thing for me to do was study business management. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's paying for itself now. (laughs) Is it? No. <laughs> it's uh it was a very unusual uh thing I guess for me too but I wasn't all that bothered really if I'm you know looking back I just uh, the thing that excited me the most was that I was moving to Edinburgh which was a whole like an hour and a half drive from my house which meant you know I was going to be living away from home for the first time and I was going to be having adventures and I was just partying a lot I loved it I met I met a group of girlfriends um in fact a group of girls on the first day came 
uh, to my door and I was, I think I had like a bottle of vodka open myself. I was like <laughs> hanging out the window, having a cigarette because I could. I was doing all the things I should have been doing basically, but it's having sure, a great yeah. time, great time doing them. Um, and actually one of the girls that uh, opened the door is, uh, was my friend Zoe, who um, is still one of my best friends now. Um you know, I, I met a great group of girls, a great group of guys that became really good friends as well. I used to go on holiday with uh, 12 Aberdonian boys. Oh my um, goodness. We went, to, <laughs> we went to Amsterdam and stuff together. It was me and these 12 guys. They were great. Um, we just had such a, I just had such a great time um, and got into lots and lots of trouble. Um, oh, and actually it's weird looking back because I feel like a different person from those <laughs> days. Um, I was, I was reckless. I was having fun. I was just, you know, I wasn't, I didn't care about studying mm. at all. When did the TV thing come along then? Because was that a lot of, like a lot of time later or, oh my God, yeah. or did you yeah. kind of fall into it? I just, I got sacked um, from a job and my father was just, Beta, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> This is a bloody disgrace. He was going crazy at me. And he was like, you need to find a job. He just was, you have to find a career. You have to do something. He was just really like upset at me. And so he didn't say what I had to do. He just said I had to get a job. I did find a job and I told him the day before I was starting what it was. Um, but he And asked him to drive me to the airport because I'd found a job um, in Bermuda uh, working in a rum bar. <laughs> Uh, that's not the kind of job he had in mind when I left university after five years. Um, so the poor man, you know, he's not got a good heart either, my dad. And I, I think I might be responsible for that partly. But, um, <laughs> Massive shout out to your dad. You put him through yeah. the mill. <laughs> oh, well done, big purveys. Well done. Yeah, we did a lot of traveling. I was working in bars and hospitality and stuff for a long time and just having a bit of a yeah, a hedonistic life. It was lovely. Went to lots of raves and lots of parties <laughs> and had a great time. And then I think I I decided that I wanted to make a career out of something I loved. And I thought I would go, I saved up um, and funded a course um, back at university, uh, in a master's degree in journalism. And I thought I love stories and this is telling other people's and it makes sense, but it was print journalism. So mm. I did print journalism as a master's degree. Uh, very different that the second time round. I was such a square the second time <laughs> round. I was like really studious and uh, came out with a distinction. I was the you know editor of the paper and magazine. I had done apprenticeships and stuff while I was um, at university doing my master's as well. I did human rights based journalism. I joined the Scottish Human Rights Commission as a journalist and I was working for the Innocence Project. So we were investigating miscarriages of justice and drafting wow. appeals to the Scottish Criminal Case Review Commission. And I did some work with a, a paper. And, you know, the, the, as much as I loved, I really enjoyed the human rights based journalism. It wasn't paying. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I like stuff. Yeah. So stuff. I thought I need to kind of get a job. I, I was offered a job in the oil and gas industry, complete opposite of human rights journalism. And <laughs> <laughs> moved up to Aberdeen. I lasted three months, Kat, in that job and was sacked again. I know this is awful, isn't it? Like I have a really bad track records, but I got sacked from that job and found myself, um, yeah, unemployed and in Aberdeen. It was funny because my boyfriend at the time worked in the oil and gas industry, but he could be based anywhere. And he, I remember him coming to me being like, oh my God, we could live in like Rio. And I was like, you're moving to Aberdeen. <laughs> 
after three months, I was like, oh, God, I'm really sorry. Like, yeah, real. Huh? Um, but STV, uh, Scottish Television at the time, they were looking for editors to, community editors to move online and write with them. And so I um, got a job as an editor, so an online journalist working with them. And it was the first time that I was exposed to a newsroom and saw the fast paced journalism, the, you know, just the shouting headlines and breaking news and that rush to get everything in for that deadline. And then the news programme going out, I just loved it. And so started to stay late and uh, work the auto queue for the news programme that night and picking up cameras. And one of the presenters, in fact, the, the anchor, she came to me, Andrea Brownmer, and she said, listen, I can see you're putting in all this work and we don't currently have anything set up that's going to retrain or, or train you within the company. So why don't I give you a hand? Wow, I think, I think what you'd a be legend. A oh my God, it's all because of Andrea Brimer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Andrea Massive Brimer. shout out. <laughs> um, she taught me how to present and she taught me how to read from an auto cue and helped me put together a showreel. And it was that showreel that was used to then apply for jobs internally. And I did a few months later get a job. I'd only been at the company for, you know, a year mm. and had a job working in Edinburgh. So <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> But it's a little bit more exotic than Aberdeen, I thought. So that moved back to Edinburgh and yeah, I got a job, uh, yeah, got a job presenting and the late bulletins and um, the sort of news that we do for our um, current affairs programme. I still say our like I'm on it, do you know? Our. 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 <laughs> or our. <laughs> As if I'm still part of that show and as if I'm still part of that team. Oh. Um, yeah, so that was how I got into telly. Wow, that's so cool. Can you remember one of the tips that she gave you about presenting? Actually, do you know, one of the, I can't remember the first thing, but I remember just how weird it was to try and newsread at first because you kind of read things as if you're reading a story. Mm. And once upon a time, there was a little boy and this happened and that happened. You know, you, you don't know how to intonate and you don't know how to, yeah, you just don't know how to do that. So it was a bit odd. But I do remember actually one of the best bits of advice I still think about to this day that I was given when I was leaving that newsroom because it was really great that I got that, that job. Mm. But there was a lot going on at the time and, um, you know, there's a lot to learn. And uh, one of the, the senior journalists said to me, just be a sponge don't you know keep don't not to keep your head down but just really keep your ears open and sponge up the experience and the information and just everything mm -hmm. and I think about that still because I in everything I do actually I think about back to that kind of being a sponge in your environment and just kind of taking in all the experience and that's even the bad stuff you know if you're mm. late on a train and or you know your train's delayed or whatever it is it's like really important to to be aware of that as an experience and mm. instead of trying to hurry that train up because it, you can't just accepting it and enjoying the experience more than anything so it really has helped me in my life that that bit of information that bit of advice I think that's fantastic advice and and for all creatives out there who are in that position where they are in that environment where they feel a bit more like it's their home or their space where they could grow to be able to do exactly that 
uh, well, well, I mean, your testament to how that turns out. And talking of that, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about this multi-hyphen situation, which I'm sure you've talked about a million times because it's fantastic. Um, so yes, you define yourself as a multi-hyphen professional, which to be honest, when I read that, I was, I've just, I was just like, oh, thank God, that's, that's what I am. Because I, I go through the middle of going, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a podcaster, I'm this and that and that. And I never know how to define myself. To, to, so to see, you know, a person like yourself defining themselves through many different ways, I was just absolutely taken back by that. So I want to know, what do you feel that that title gives you? How does it allow you to express yourself differently? Um, and what freedom does that identity award you? I like that I can pigeonhole myself now. I can go, <laughs> oh, that's what I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what it is. That's what I do. Because um, being, the, especially in this industry, I think being good at a number of things or wanting to even do or have multiple careers within this industry, it's not, it hasn't historically been embraced you know, as a strength. Mm. I think that um, sometimes it's, you know, they want you to focus on doing one thing and doing one thing really well. And I had a lot of criticism about, you know, not the fact that I wasn't specialising and that it's confusing for people and they just want you to do that one thing. And it just did not sit with me because, you know, I wanted to have a life that I really enjoyed and that was varied and that I didn't, I always looked upon people I knew who had jobs and lived for the weekend as slightly missing out on mm. something in life. And I didn't ever want to be that person. Um, I didn't want to have that kind of life that, that forced me to give up so much time to something I felt no passion for no inspiration for uh, to live for a paycheck and to kind of live then for the weekend and it just didn't make any sense to me and I think that as well though that you, you, you sometimes think that if you are uh, forced out of a job or if a relationship ends or whatever it is it's like the worst thing that could ever happen to you and, <laughs> yeah. uh, life has shown me that in actual fact those are the real opportunities and you know turning the worst thing that ever happened to you into something really positive mm. just feels great um you know and that's certainly been my story you know with with a number of, of things uh, that I've experienced in life and you know I was made redundant from from that job I had in television after five years six mm. years and a relationship ended at the same time and I found myself thinking you know this is the worst thing that ever happened and I'm in the worst <laughs> space and you know mentally I think I did go through a massive uh, you know kick I did have a massive issue at the time with you know anxiety and a bit of depression and that mm. was kind of quite a difficult time and I did think but this is a stubbornness you know cat I was like like, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> I bet Kel's fine. And it was. And it was, yeah. Well, I moved to London and, you know, made everything happen. It's when I kind of started really writing. Actually, that was what, what instigated the, the writing career because I had an idea for a sitcom and thought, well, I'm in London now, so come on, London, make me a star. Um, <laughs> Uh, I wanted to write it and got that first um, got that first uh, sitcom pilot done and submitted it to the BBC Writers Room and got in. So that because of that, you know, I now do everything else that I do, and it's opened up this whole other life to me that's just filled with, you know, I, I have so much creative input to my projects and control over what I do. Um, so it's given me 
everything. It's given me a lot of happiness. It means that Kat, I have not worked <laughs> Yay! for a long, long time. <laughs> this is the dream. I just don't work. I don't do, I don't work at all. Everything I do is like passion and I feel passion for. So it doesn't feel like work, you know? I mean, this is where you flash back to this morning when I was honestly in a medieval costume <laughs> running through a field. I so can't wait to see what that is all about. And you just think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I don't work. What the hell was I doing? I'm a 35 year old woman. <laughs> running around fields. With, yeah, dress up costumes and honestly, anyway. Um, but of course it's fun and I, I get to choose that, you know? Um, and then the, the, the fact is this for, just for an example, the, what we were doing today, the fact that I can write it, produce it and, and be in it, uh, it's, and, and I'll edit it as well. Mm -hmm. It's a really fulfilling, uh, job to have. It's a really fulfilling thing that otherwise I wouldn't be able to do. So if I had just chosen to be a presenter, then, you know, the other stuff would have been much harder and actually, I feel that the more I do, the better I become at everything else. Uh, these sort of transferable skills that are there and that, you know, everything does enhance my life and it enhances who I am. Um, yeah. Thanks very much for dumping me. And thanks very much for getting rid of me. Appreciate that. I can see Beyonce in the background just shaking her head and mm -hmm. her booty just uh, supporting that comment. <laughs> so looking back on your career um, and and just trying to pick out like one of your biggest accomplishments so far, what do you feel really proud of? Like when you look back at everything you've done, is there a standout moment where you just think, yeah, that was amazing? I don't know if there's... I mean, there's lots of things that I can look back on and feel proud of that I ran towards the fear, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the idea that I did do, I was a news presenter and managed to, you know, cope with the nerves of that without having any experience and, um, you know, get, get through that was, was fantastic. But I wanted to be a writer my entire life. And I, I think that the moment that does stand out for me was after getting through to the BBC Comedy Writers Room, I was then shortlisted for Funny Women. Um, I was then, I'm now in the ITV Female Pilot Club and had a script optioned and I've been commissioned by the BBC to make some comedy shorts. And I was launched at BAFTA as a writer. And I just remember sort of standing um, at BAFTA at this launch thinking, wow. <laughs> Oh, oh, I think it's happening now. I must be a real writer. <laughs> I think it's happening. I, yeah, I'm a real boy. Um, <laughs> it's it's happening. And that was a really nice moment of just feeling like, I don't feel like I've had that moment yet because I'm still, you know, on the brink of making my own things and having that big, you know, speak to me after I've had my first Oscar. <laughs> you know? Well, next month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Oscar season, darling. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Just, just to be able to sort of look out at an audience and be recognised for that that amount of work that you put mm. in. I mean, what were you feeling in your body? I, I just have to know, like, what were you wearing? What were you feeling? How did it feel to sit back down again and go, "Oh my god, I've just, I've just done this. This is awesome." Um, honestly. I, I, I was feeling a bit pished because I'd been drinking a lot of free wine. Most excellent. I was just, yeah, I was having a great time. Um, 
and it was just before lockdown. It was just, it was in February. And um, if I'd known then that that would be probably one of my last sort of networking occasions, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I am very proud <laughs> of myself for getting on that cheap box wine and schmoozing with, <laughs> schmoozing with producers and just having a great time and I met some really lovely people there actually um, and it was nice to celebrate with other writers that had been through a sort of similar experience to me and you know I met yeah I just met some really great people who you know now be, as a result of that I'm now working with or doing things with or have opportunities with so and I've been able to help some people as well that I met there and we read scripts and swap them. And yeah, it's really, it was a great moment, but I don't, I don't know if I had that there. I think it was mostly, it was afterwards. There was another writer there that um, he's, he's a Scottish writer as well and uh, a Scottish Pakistani. And um, we just had this like moment with a bottle of iron brew <laughs> by the BAFTA sign where we were both just like, you know, two Scottish Asians, of course, standing by BAFTA thinking <laughs> iron brew was such a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I just, I, I think that, I look back on that picture and I was like, that's, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's great. You and and if Iron Brew wants to sponsor me for anything, <laughs> that would be cool. Let's talk about that comedy aspect of your life, because uh, I'm always fascinated by women in comedy. I look at them and I think, oh my God, it must take so much guts to put yourself out there in that way. What draws you towards humour in particular? And, and how did you discover that you were funny? Am I? <laughs> I think my brothers would probably disagree. Um, I, what draws me? I, I think the, the humour was a sort of um, defence mechanism growing up and was used. I would laugh at myself first or poke fun at myself, be quite self-deprecating self because it meant that once I'd taken the piss out of something, no one else could. <laughs> it kind of took the power away from other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I was using it a lot for that, but also just, um, I feel like there's kind of part of being Glaswegian or being Scottish is having, you know, a good retort, a good witty retort <laughs> up your sleeve. Um, and that was something that, yeah, we just used to kind of have a laugh in the playground or growing up. It was, you know, even if I was being bullied, I would always have some little smart arse comment to make. <laughs> and I was a bit of a smart arse. I think that I went through a real smart arse stage in life. And um, that very irreverent sense of humour came from that. But the self-deprecating stuff was embedded in my own insecurities, probably, uh, <laughs> growing up. And just actually what's interesting, though, is, you know, you look at studies that are being done now uh, into humour and how it's used in presentation. And what's incredible is that they have discovered that a good sense of humour will incorporate you into a group more easily. And those that do have a great sense of humour are seen to be part of the group and great, you know, make, make connections with uh, teams much more easily. And uh, I wonder, looking back then, if that has that was maybe my attempt at, be, at making friends. It was, you know, you know, if I could be funny. And I, and I am actually, I would definitely say that in my friendship group, I'm the, the funny, outrageous one for sure. <laughs> What advice or, or tips would you give to other younger women who are about to head into comedy? Like, what do you wish you'd known as you were starting out in this field? That you don't need to actually learn all the crap around some, <laughs> around it. <laughs> you don't need to put yourself through a course. You don't need to think too much about structure. Don't 
keep putting it off because you think, oh, well, I should probably study that first or I should at least do this first. Just write something. Just come at it raw and write something because you can, first of all, I think you're just delaying it. Uh, and maybe that's like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a bit lame. You're lying to yourself. You're just delaying it. Um, and also it, it dilutes in some ways your your raw talent and your voice and what you're bringing to the table. So just, uh, yeah, hurry up. What are you waiting for? Get going. <laughs> Come on, girls. <laughs> that's a bit Shania Twain. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I loved that song when it came out. I wanted that, that code. Era, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Anyway, whew. good old Shania. <laughs> She's still going. I love her. Her. She's oh, awesome, isn't she? I did listen to her a lot, actually, come think of it growing up. That was that, that one album. Album that she had that don't impress me much wanna, uh, that one yeah, yeah. the Sorry best one there. God, no no yeah. we're talking about comedy so <laughs> all right all right, all right. All right. before i do now <laughs> you're welcome clearly, clearly not a singer <laughs> so Sarah, you do lots of things in life but singing's not one is it next on the list <laughs> um so talking about like that balancing of your you know your personal life with your career life and it's clear that like you said you know you haven't worked a day in your life and that's that's what everyone wants to do with their lives in the first place how do you keep that balancing out like do you have to think about mental health do you have to think about not burning out like what do you do to sort of keep yourself in check and keep yourself healthy um I mean, this is funny that you're talking to me about this now because I'm just off the back of a really intense few weeks. And in fact, you know, this week I've maybe got a slight breather before I'm going back into another one. But I haven't really had a day off for, you know, maybe a couple of months. Um, It's famine and feast. And you, I think finding the balance for me is more about um, just getting on it when it's when there's stuff going on and not sort of complaining about that time that you're not you know the fact the fact that you're having to which I don't you know I love it but there's there's occasionally things that will happen I've just been back home and uh, in Glasgow and seeing family and I had a nephew that was born and I would have actually really enjoyed having some more time spent with my family but I couldn't because of things projects and deadlines that I that I had ongoing and that kind of made me feel a little bit like you know that it's a shame that I don't have more control sometimes mm-hmm. over that balance but the trick is that then when it is quiet and that's when you know when it's famine make the most of those times and you know fit in family and fit in everything that you want then uh so that's I think it's embracing the famine and feast and making the most of the, the downtime and not stressing out about when I'm gonna you know get get paid again or when work's going to come in or is that me I'm over my career's over I'm never going to do anything again I might as well just go and get a job working in a local bar again and that's it you know because those are the kind of crazy thoughts you have when you're quiet or when you don't get many emails you know after a couple of days or is that just me it might just be me but (laughs) that's that can happen so instead of doing that to 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 think well you know I don't have anything booked for a week I'm going to go back up home Mm. and just spend time with my niece for a week or it's her summer holidays I'll take her away for a week um, somewhere and do something with her or spend time with my mum or maybe date I don't know I'll get to that but I'm not really dating at the moment so it's mostly friends seeing my girlfriends again after being in lockdown so yeah yeah that that sort of balance I think is like what's making me happy right now is the people I love and my work so I'm just doing as much of that as I can 
oh, I love that. I met up with my girlfriend uh, literally yesterday and we just had the best time. Shout out Georgie Palmer. And and it, just seeing someone in the flesh again, just seeing someone's physical face that you love, it does, it boosts your whole morale. It boosts your immune system, I think, because it. I was just smiling from ear to ear for the whole entire yeah. day and came home exhausted in a good way, um, different to a work way, just in a, you know, happy heart type of oh, way. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, so we're coming to the end of the podcast now. What do you consider to be one of your bravest moments so far, be that physically, spiritually or mentally? And uh, how do you feel like you've evolved as a person or changed your values as a consequence? Brave. I, I feel like I'm constantly challenging myself and overcoming things that scare me and, you know, doing stand up comedy was definitely something that initially terrified me when I had the chance to do it. But I didn't hesitate for a second in saying, yes, absolutely, I want to do this because I felt that way. And that I think is part of who I am. Uh, the way that it changed me as a person was that, you know, it, it opened up this lovely new avenue and you know, just so many opportunities that came from that people I met and really starting to craft comedy, which then led to writing. Um, but it, it taught me a lot of humility as well, because, you know, in TV, people can't, you don't see how disappointed people are mm. if you're, if you're rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so working with live audiences, you know, you really have to, you know, work at it and read, read a room. And, you know, I think that in itself has really taught me how to, in terms of reading a room in other ways uh, in life, that's been really, really useful. So what advice would you give to other young, strong-minded, adventurous or creative women about dealing with those sort of critical, more fearful or even jealous people of their multi-hyphen decisions? How could they deal with the self-doubt that this may create within themselves? And what do you say to yourself when faced with those that don't quite understand your mindset or lifestyle? Oh, I mean, I, I started doing a bit of mindfulness and meditation. I got really into spirituality last year and I like throwing love at stuff. Like just, oh, you know, oh, that's OK. You don't like it. Like, I hope I hope you have a really great life. And <laughs> it's great for you, you absolute asshole. You know. <laughs> I know I, I think that being, you know, it's. It's, I do question sometimes, you know, if you're going to take the good comments, you have to be prepared to, to take the bad. And I do question how well we do that at times, how well I do that at times. Mm -hmm. But mostly, you know, I I think just having a bit of kindness in your heart about yourself and about other people. You know, I when I read negative comments, I'm often thinking, so, you know, it's a really sad thing to do to go on and say something negative about someone I hope they're okay they're really not having a great life if that's what's going on mm. and actually it's a it's a bit sad and it's a bit of shame and you know I actually do hope they're all right um you know I hope they can find some happiness namaste <laughs> namaste I love it namaste. <laughs> that's how we say it in Glasgow <laughs> love it okay so I'm gonna throw you into a quick fire question round are you okay. ready Zara Jandu mm -hmm. song you absolutely must sing along to in the car 
Bop by Hanson. Oh, I, yeah, I loved I, I loved that. Bit, re- bit retro. <laughs> Book that made a great impression on you. It was absolutely Anne of Green Gables. Oh, do you know what? I love the Netflix series as well. There are other Oh my God, services. it's amazing, isn't it? It's so good. I'm having it. It's fantastic. She is epic. Um, Favourite film? Jackie Brown. Nice! And that was a quick fire answer indeed. Oh, I've watched that film. In fact, honestly, I just, I live that film. You live I want it. to be Jackie Brown. <laughs> I just, you know, the moment when she gets the gun, like, yes. and she's silhouetted and with Samuel L. Jackson and she delivers that line and it's like, oh my, that moment just, it sends shivers up my spine. Like, I just feel great watching that film. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thing you love most about yourself? Uh my resilience. I love that I'm a very resilient person. Um, you know, I don't, I think I just quickly dust myself off and go, right, what's next? You know, if that's not going to happen or, oh, you don't fancy me, you're less. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great. Toss your hair, toss, toss. True story, bro. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just move on quickly, uh, which is, yeah, I do love that. If you're buying me a drink, you'd better buy dot, dot, dot. Oh, uh, a sidecar. Oh, what's a sidecar? Sidecar. It's a really good question. <laughs> what is a sidecar? Googling now. What is a sidecar? Um, right. It's 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 got bourbon. Oh, good. And and it's lemony and it's very strong. But oh. other than that, I don't know. Excellent. Pet peeve. People that eat loudly. Ah, same. Do you know what? I'm not even kidding, right? I I have... Oh, don't. Oh, God, no, no, no. That's sending shivers down my spine Chompers. for all Chompers. the wrong reason. So I'm sorry to, to mention my husband in this, but I actually have to wear earphones when my husband eats because I've got a real misophonic situation going on. And it's the same in cinemas as well. Mm. Can't stand a cinema with people with crinkly popcorn and... Ugh. I love that you know the name of it as well. Like, you are... <laughs> so special you're gonna to have to put that on the end multi-hyphen slash misophonic it. it's just the most disgusting thing and it's it really puts me off someone uh, like on a date if all of a sudden um, 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 and oh. the ones that make the noise as well you know, like, oh, it's not just, um, stop stop oh my god i can't take it anymore uh, okay i'm gonna move you swiftly on because seriously ooh. um you can sit down with a hero or heroine of yours who would it be and where would you take them um I mean, honestly, I'm going to be like really basic here. <laughs> so basic. If I if I had to go on a date with someone, it would be Tom Hardy, and I would I would we would go for like oh we would go to this really nice Mexican restaurant uh, that I know in Edinburgh uh, that I miss loads and haven't been to in a long time, and have frozen margaritas all night. Well, not all night because well we'd be on a date with Tom Hardy. So <laughs> to be reincarnated what three memory skills or objects would you want to take from this life and why memory skills or objects mm-hmm. you can only take three but it depends what I would be reincarnated as because do you know what I've realised is I'm absolutely in love with my MacBook Pro <laughs> have you named it no <laughs> I'm in love with it don't make this weird <laughs> sorry <laughs> 
But I just think, uh, yeah. But then, you know, if I was like reincarnated as a whale, like that would... <laughs> In the Thames. That wouldn't really work. So I guess I'd need to know what I was going to be reincarnated as. I'd really like to take my mum with me. To Aww. have like my mum as my whale mum. <laughs> I would, yeah. I love, I love whale mum, whale mummy Jamjua. <laughs> She's now going to be. If she listens to this, she'll be like, "You're taking the piss out my weight again." <laughs> yeah, I'm not be taking the piss out my weight again. I don't feed you that much at home, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Absolutely love to take my mum, my MacBook Pro, <laughs> as a whale, <laughs> a version of. <laughs> An underwater version of my MacBook Pro, whatever that might be. I feel like the Little Mermaids might have like some sort of crafted out of like seashells and stuff. She might have like a version she could make. Just imagine if you're an an acting whale with a MacBook Pro. I mean, you you'd have the same life again, wouldn't you? You'd be a massive celebrity. God, I'd be in the Thames. Oh my God, maybe that's what it's doing. Come to London for its moment of glory, its moment of fame. It's a sideways moment. Um, and finally, I think I would probably just bring, uh, I'd like to bring my, yeah, do you know what, my my sense of humour, because it, even if that's in my own head, my sense of humour, <laughs> my sense of humour, as long as I can laugh in my head as a whale. I'm imagining and Dory click, just... Lots of clicks. Yeah, yeah. Dory's going, thank you, Zara. <laughs> uh, okay, so you've got one final question to answer. If there was a zombie apocalypse, what would you use as a weapon and where would you hide? Can I have like an invisibility cloak? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Go to the, the Harry Potter studios. I'm sure you've got oh, one well, there. That'd be there fine. we go. <laughs> and I just hide under my cloak so I could go anywhere. <laughs> So I could like nip out to the supermarket. You know, in like these films, when you see them, like they it's like such an epic journey to go and buy like a tin of beans that went off five years ago in the supermarket and this zombie above this. You could just be, yeah, you don't need to do that when you've got your invisibility cloak, do you? Just wander in, dash a few, you know, wander back out. Zombies are none the wiser. Oh my God, my sides are actually aching. I have to give you the solitary clap for surviving that quick fire question round. Here it comes. Hooray! You have done so well. So I've got one final thing to ask you before I let you go and you give us our, uh, your social handles. Um, what advice would you like to give to the world right now as we're coming out of this pandemic and we're starting to slowly rear our heads and go, what is this life all about? Um, yeah, what would you like the world to know? What advice would you give them? Oh, I don't know. I think just be, being open-minded, you know, I think th- things are starting to change again. And, and you know, we're coming out of this period where we've all been locked away. And of course, I think we need to be really kind to each other, but just keeping an open mind. We're really quick to judge at the moment, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this whole culture around cancelling people and you know sometimes I can understand they've done very bad things but also I think we're too quick to just uh, everything's a bit black and white at times it feels like everything's a bit black and white at the moment Mm. so just keep an open mind and don't be a dick (laughs) mic drop Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you've had such a long day wafting around those fields with medieval costumes on. So I really do appreciate it's you giving my us absolute pleasure. Time. I really, really enjoyed meeting you and chatting to you. So oh. thank you for thank you for having me. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Before you go, will you give us your social handles and uh, yeah, let us know what's happening next? 
Absolutely. Uh, social handles are at TV Zara J, and that's on Twitter and on Instagram. And I, uh, what have I got coming up? I've got a, a new comedy short on the BBC. They release them online, then put them onto the iPlayer. There is some big news coming up. But I can't actually say what it is. So you just need to follow me, and then hopefully you'll see when it happens. Awesome. Thank you so much, Zara. It's been so nice to chat to you. Thank you so much, Kat. And enjoy the rest of your day. You too. You too. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> what I love about Zara is her unwavering enthusiasm and passion for her craft. Not content to settle into one defining title, she shows us that variety really is the spice of life and that only you get to choose your working title. As a consequence, Zara says she hasn't worked, in the metaphorical sense, a day in her life, fueled instead by her passion, creativity and transferable skill set that give her limitless opportunity for her own self-realised success. Her motto? Don't live by paycheck to paycheck. Create your own work. Don't delay on your dreams. Start realising them for yourself. And the same goes for her advice to fellow writers. Come at the work raw. Don't bother editing and delaying on the idea. Get it down on paper so that you can begin to see it and shape it. For you to be a writer, your writing must first exist. Be led by your intuition for your creation and then collaborate to bring your ideas to life if necessary. And if you are lucky enough to already work with someone in the field of your choice, be a sponge. Soak up as much information as you possibly can so that you can apply it to your own work. I also really love that in the times that could have made Zara give up, losing jobs or relationships for example, Zara was proactive towards her dream, allowing the not-so-great times to motivate her into decisions that have had a major and positive ripple effect through her life today. For the creative life is feast or famine, as she says, and in the famine, you've got to find a different type of soul food. This is very true for the writer's life, and finding other creative outlets to support you will be a stimulating and necessary part of your career tool belt. Don't be afraid to be a writer and a columnist, actor, origami specialist, space-travelling whale celebrity. If it gets the job done and it means you can carry on living your creative truth, then do it. Choose the feast, not the famine, my friends. And don't be afraid to tell people that that is exactly who you are. Which brings us nicely onto the writer's exercise for today, which is brought to you by ComedyGold.com. Prompts. This one is a classic. It's the perfect starting place because it helps you not just churn out random detached jokey jokes that anyone could write, but jokes that could come only from you. Fill in the answers to the following. I hate... Dot, dot, dot. I love... I'm annoyed by... The best is when... I'm proud that... I'm terrified of, I'm embarrassed by, I'm obsessed with. You should totally be my friend because... Dot, dot, dot. Round one. Don't try to be funny. Don't overthink. Be truthful. 
One-word answers are fine to start. You can list as many responses as you want for each prompt. Bonus. If you happen to gravitate more toward one mood of prompt, uh, negative versus positive mainly, you may start to get a sense of your natural comedy voice or persona. Round two. If you haven't already, go back and add because dot dot dot. For extra credit, you can switch them up. Move the things you love to things you hate, and so on and so forth. Be sure to add the because. See how sarcasm serves you. And then maybe pick one prompt. Write as many short answers as you can. The result could become a list joke. Twitter fitter. Pick a short personal anecdote you like to tell. Write or type it out on one page, about 250 words, double-spaced. Now write the same story in 100 words. Now write the same story in 50 words. Now write the same story in 25 words. You've got this. Hemingway, legend has it, did it in six. Now write the same story in 140 characters. Whether or not you ever use this joke, this exercise is useful because rookie comics almost always use too much setup. This helps you pare that part down. For one thing, showing you exactly how little context, premise and information you need to get the audience on the same page as you. Concise is always better. It helps you literally choose your words carefully. Shorter words are generally stronger, so you'll thesaurus your way down to those with the most punch. It also forces you to identify the one core idea that makes this thing funny. Many comics try out their jokes on Twitter. Get good at this, and that could be a great testing ground for you too. When you did one of these exercises, did something crack you up? If it did, you can tweet it at Gold Comedy on Twitter. Or let us know at the Brave Moment with the hashtag BraveWriter. Before I go, I'd like to leave you with this quote by play and script writer Neil Simon. Truth, no matter how much it may cut into the marrow, is what ultimately makes us laugh. Next week on the show, we speak to Man Booker finalist and multi-award winning novelist Will Memmure as he talks us through his creative journey with his new novel, Foxfires. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. If you have a spare moment now, please like, subscribe and tell me your thoughts in a review on Apple Podcasts, which will really help other people like yourself to find the show. Of course, you can also share the show with your friends by following us at The Brave Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube, or on Twitter at Moment Brave, or just follow the link tree on all of our social media platforms. It's been so wonderful to have you all here with me again. Please get in touch with your own stories and remember, your brave moment starts now.